Hello, and welcome to Motopod, the internet radio show all about motorcycle road racing. This is episode number 674, the second Grand Prix in Mazzano, the Emilia Romana, as they like to say. And I'm Jim McDowell, hosting the show. And with me tonight, as ever from the UK, Rich Jouette. Rich, what's going on? Good evening, Jim. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Still buzzing from uh, a rather excellent weekend of racing. Well, my heart, <laughs> say my heart rate's up, but that's because we had some technical issues that were that happened prior to the show. So we got those settled. My brain is also fried because today was a very long training session day for my job, which requires heavy math and statistics. And so I'm kind of just bleh. Rather so, you than me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, better me than you. That is true. So let's get to it then. Um, I want to thank everybody who's been donating to the show, everyone on Patreon as well. If you guys like the show, if you could go to iTunes, leave us a review. That changes the algorithm, puts us at the top. More people find us, which is great. If you like the show even that little bit more, maybe consider throwing a little change, spare change at us. That'd be great too. You can go to our website, www motopodcast.com there's links to paypal and patreon every little bit helps keeps us ad free keeps everything running and we greatly appreciate everything that's there with that i think we've got a little errata to go through i know you had some feedback rich um want to cover that yes okay um yeah i had uh, some twitter contact uh, i'm there on twitter people and starting to get more stuff coming through which is great so i had a message from uh, i can only give you the handle well boyce uh who is at chico underscore 811 and uh, boyce wrote as follows he said there were new age restrictions announced this weekend and obviously we're going to be talking about that in a bit more detail shortly jim but um that will be going into force starting next season and while i like the new requirements i still feel something needs to be done to differentiate the engine parity otherwise pack racing will continue just with slightly more mature individuals which is a fair point he goes on to say that he's done some club racing in the past and although it was never personally part of a race that required a, a wave start, so this first and second wave that we discussed uh, an episode or so ago, um, he sort of feels that that could be a good thing to do. So he asked me if we had to choose between having a wave start or allowing teams to build their own engines in the lightweight classes, which would get my vote. So before I tell you what I told him, Jim, what do you think about that in terms of age restrictions and or giving teams freedom on engines to try and break the packs up a bit. I'm all for age restrictions, and we will come on to that as a lengthy discussion unto itself. Um, the idea of the teams themselves building the engines, not so much. Uh, number one, I it is immensely expensive to develop one of these 250cc four-strokes to um there is a set of rules in the rule book i think you're allowed like an 81 millimeter bore which means you wind up with a relatively short stroke so the bike can rev to the moon but that's that's a huge undertaking to build your own motor to work on it um you know that's one of the reasons that you have all triumph motors in moto 2 triumph takes care of those motors builds those motors gives them to you you put it in there they can kind of control it um if you did, I, I like the idea that there is a manu, there are manufacturers, the two of them in Moto3. Whether it's a Gas Gas, a KTM, or Husqvarna, it's the same bike and same motor. It's all built by the Austrian giant KTM, and you have Honda there as well. I would like to see someone else build a Moto3 bike, 
um, perhaps maybe Yamaha, although they won't. And it's been a long time since they were in the smallest class. Even way back in 125s, Yamaha only had it for a few years and whatnot, and they were more prominent in the 250 class at the time. But they, I don't think Yamaha has the resources to develop to devote to that work. Although they do have a 250cc motocross engine, which is basically where this has come from. So it wouldn't be a stretch to say that they could put that in there. It wouldn't be a stretch to say that Suzuki could make a motor and put it there either. Because the same thing, they have a 250 motocross engine they could start from. So they have a basis there. But I, I think even if you did that, they would still, given the rules that where you have basically the only limitation is your bore size and your stroke, they would still relatively create the same horsepower and would lead to still further pack racing. I think if you're going to do it, you need to do it like Van de Gerberg said, and we mentioned this a few podcasts ago, you, you have to restrict the gear ratios that are in the transmission of these bikes to where they're not able to create those very tall top two gears so they can ride along in the draft comfortably and then whip out and pass there. Um, so I think it's a, it, it would be nice to have more manufacturers. I think it's too expensive. No team is going to take that on. But I think if you really want to do it, just if you just put a rule on the gearboxes and say this is the, you know, there's enough computer simulation out there that you could come up with a pretty decent gearbox that would work across the, those those engines uh, again you know the ktm might make its torque a little differently than a honda and vice versa but you could come up with some relative equivalency across there and say hey here's the gear sets that you got and this is what you're going to get because i think i think all the engines are actually taken away from the teams i believe and they're held by the manufacturers and then they are by luck of draw given to the other people the next weekend so as much as what we talk about the fact that the leopard hondas are always bullet fast it isn't because they've taken that motor and have tweaked it, okay? It, it It's more due to their aerodynamics or their small riders or whatever else you want to think of there uh, for that. So you could easily have the manufacturers set a gearbox for it. So KTM could say, hey, these are the gear ratios for this track. Honda could say these are our gear ratios for this track. And you eliminate that ability to draft and you would change it. And break up the pack, or you could just simply get a sprinkler, like Bernie says, and throw some water out there because that that changes the whole complexity of it too, right? <laughs> I mean, we saw that this weekend at Mazzano. Did you have a pack? No, you did not, but you had great racing. So mm-hmm. part of it's the tracks, but there's nothing you can really do about that part of it. Everybody likes, you know, these tracks are sort of what I would like to call multi-purpose because they're Formula One and Moto GP bikes. So the newer tracks are all Tilkadromes. And they all have a characteristic long straightaway, tight turn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you do that, it's not going to really break up the the packs as much. So that's my two cents on it. I mean, I was pretty similar thoughts to yours, really. But certainly in terms of engines, I mean, I guess I can't really remember with Moto3. I, I guess Moto3 or the four-stroke came in because at the time, two-strokes were seen as a, a dying kind of formula with less and less relevance to, to road sales. Um, but quite clearly what the organizers don't want is a kind of arms spending race going on it can't so be afforded, you ha- it, yeah nah, and if you handed that to the teams they, they would just take any measures that they possibly could so it would, clearly it would get out of control I, I have been a proponent for a few episodes now of you know perhaps the idea of a, a, a one and two uh sort of wave off set of groups um simply because you could use it as a quite a um 
a penalty with teeth really so if we uh, the example i wrote back to boyce was to say that if you had somebody as we have seen a lot although a little bit less just recently i have to say but where you had somebody dawdling along on the racing line during qualifying and bulking somebody else you know you could put them into the second wave and then you know they've got to do that kind of acosta like bridge the gap kind of miracle so i mean it would have more than one use but it, it, thank you for the question, boys, and hopefully the, the answer was uh, was good for you. Um, it kind of segues quite neatly into the announcement that the organisers made at the weekend in terms of what changes they are planning to make in response to, you know, the, uh, the unpleasant uh, events that we've seen at, uh, on three or four occasions this year. So, um, Jim, I've written down, I think I've got it reasonably clear in my mind, but uh, it's obviously a little bit of detail there. But what mm-hmm. the... Essentially, what they've done, and they quite against expectation, I think the you know the governing body has taken for them quite swift steps on this one. I think for amongst, them, yes. For them, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think amongst a, a lot of kind of public outcry as to what's been going on, and so what they've, or as far as I understand it, what they've said is that starting this is going to be a stage thing over the next two to three years. So starting from the 2022 season, the age limits will go up so that in national championships, uh, the minimum age will go up to 13. So for example, we have the Honda talent cup, Moto three category, effectively old bikes, older bikes. So that will be a minimum age of, of 13 and a maximum field of 30 bikes. So that goes some way towards addressing the size of the packs to some extent because i'm not quite sure how many bikes would have been running in the british talent cup this year or the asia talent cup for example there but i'm guessing it would probably be closer to 40 so Hmm. a significant fields and then for the red bull rookies next year that will be age limit 14 and for the cv and the junior moto 3 championship that will be 15 and in that case they will be limited to 32 bikes now there are some exemptions around this for example if the winner of one of those championships is a year younger for example they will be allowed to go up and i think that's a rule that's been in place right because in the past chan Anchu won at valencia three years ago he was only 15 he hadn't been 16 yet but he had yeah. won the talent cups and he really had nowhere else to go so he was given that wild card yeah, right, I, I, in the back the of my mind, I think he might have won the Red Bull Rookies that year, perhaps, or, or, or something, which gave him the step up. Uh, so they have, there have been these concessions in the past. And then also, and interestingly, for going across to the World Superbike paddock, for the Supersport 300 class, which is the other one, obviously, where we've seen uh, a death recently. Uh, and again, huge packs and, and even more scary racing, I have to say, than the Moto3. That is going to be age limit 16 and 32 bikes as well. And the 16 age limit also applies to world superbike which i thought was interesting but no mention of world super sport which was a curious omission but it does i, I read it several times so i thought wow that's that's odd because i can't think of many people of 16 uh, in world superbike although i guess there must must be a couple of really young guys in it but yeah so so that's 2022 and then from 2023 all of the three classes in the motor gp championship will go to a minimum age limit of 18 now that's I guess the significant one um and i think yeah the other the other two that i noticed was that the moto three junior championship and the red bull rookies they will each go up one year as well so next year it'll be 14 for red bull rookies in 2023 it will be 15 years old 
and the same in the in the CV Junior Motor Three Championship as well. So that's effectively what's happening with with age limits and a reduction in the grid sizes. Which you know, fair play to the organisers, that is going to go some way towards addressing the issue. It's obviously not going to be a total solution because this is a dangerous sport and these are still relatively young people. But the theory is, I guess, that there's a little bit more maturity there. And, and just a little bit more time and space for these guys to develop as they're coming up through the ranks. Perhaps, and I think with the other things that we've talked about recently, and with uh, Dom coming on the other day, it, it maybe just relieves a little bit of that pressure to succeed so much so young. And perhaps that might psychologically be a little bit of a, a helping hand as well. Yep, I agree. It, you know, that was there's a lot that's in the age limits thing. Um, I had a talk with Steve. Yeah, through email about the interview that was with Don. He posed some great questions and stuff, things that I didn't think of during the interview. All the stuff, which I appreciate you, Steve. Thank you. Hopefully you liked my reply back to it. It was, it was a lengthy email, but it was basically like, hey, these kids sometimes get addicted to that accolade and that winning, and you, you can't help but want to do it. And I agree. I mean, when I was doing it, I kind of had that. You get weirdly motivated by winning. If you've done it once and you've tasted that champagne, you want it again. And again and again and again and it's that's the high, right? It becomes mm-hmm. like a drug to you. So there's a that's fascinating. I want to talk to Don again about that because I think that's a really interesting point. And Steve made some other points in there about the ages and other things and all that. And and again, you know, I think in my reply I said, you know, what I don't know what to do because I think basically we can have age limits, but that's not really going to maybe stop it. We can kind of change the bike somewhat. That's going to help too. But I think Mary Spees, Ben Spees' mother, said it best. She goes, what am I supposed to do? Lock them up until they're 21? I mean, yeah. honestly, yeah. right? You know, it, it, I think it's a very different – and this is a really tight rope line to walk here. But there's a big difference between your you – know, speaking as a parent, there's a, there's a big difference for me between my child wanting of his own free volition – to race a motorcycle or ride a motorcycle than it is for me as the ex rider dad going, Hey, come on, let's get on a motorcycle and go ride. And I've never done that with my kids. And I hope the other parents have never done that either. And as an example, Remy Gardner has a little brother and I cannot think of his little brother's name off the top of my head, but I heard an interview with Wayne and he asked them what they wanted to do. Remy wanted to race bikes. His other brother says, nah, dad, I want to, I want to surf and chase girls. Fair enough. And, yeah. and Wayne has let them do what they wanted to do. Well, in fact, the younger brother did race for a little while, but just he decided did. he didn't, didn't really like it. He didn't and, like and it. So it was his choice. Yeah. And it was his and choice. And he said, be. no. Yeah. And that's fine. And, you know, and I think we had this conversation. We're beating old, th- <laughs> we're beating the dead horse on something. But some parents put everything onto their child to make that child be successful at that and their leverage their house and their properties and everything else and quit their jobs to do it and that's that is far and away way too much pressure to put on a 13 14 year old person I'm, i don't care what sport it is if you do that it's ridiculous the problem is, I guess, is that you you hear the story of what the stoners did for Casey when he yeah. was coming up through. You know, lived in a sold up in Australia, lived in a caravan for several years in, in in Britain, which is not a pleasant thing to do through the winter. And you know, it's kind of the the romance of that story and the kid making good 
is is so compelling and you know um you can understand why people want to chase that dream but you know th that's the exception not the norm you know the outcome of that so one other thing just to mention nestled down at the very bottom of, of the announcement that came out which was dominated by the rider limit changes as we've discussed it's a bit confusing but if you go onto the Dawner website, you can find the letter. It's, it's all on there. But nestled down the very bottom, interestingly, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, the powers that be are avid listeners of Motopod, was an announcement that they are also starting from the beginning of next year. They're going to be working much more or, or continuing to work very closely with the various safety equipment uh, and electronics uh, uh, suppliers uh, to set some minimum, some greater minimum standards for equipment and so on, and also to develop a quick warning system that will flash up on the dashes of the bikes. Which Good. I thought was interesting because we were talking about we, that. We, we had that idea. <laughs> you're, you're, we had it, or one of the one of the listeners had it. Somebody had it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, uh, it, it's been talked about before, and and it is now something they are going to actively pursue to find a way, and that will go across all classes in all in all countries that are FIM sanctioned. So that's a that's a great change as well. All good there. Um, let's see. I think that covers age limits, I believe. And like I said, we could have a whole other show just on age limits. But let's try to look at some more Moto uh, 3 news. We now know that Darren Bender will move from Moto 3 directly to the second seat on the satellite Yamaha team alongside Divisioso. I think everybody knew that was going to happen. It was just, when was it going to be announced? It's now been announced. Is that a good move? I think the only person who probably thinks it is is his brother Brad. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. you did get onto a Yamaha, which I think everyone would agree is probably the sweet one of the better MotoGP bikes to be on if you're a rookie. It is certainly not the powerhouse that a KTM is or the very hard to ride unless your name is Mark Marquez, MotoGP Honda. But it, I think Suzuki probably has a better chassis than Yamaha does, but does not have the power to keep up with the Yamaha. So shall be seen as to whether that was actually a really good move for him or not. So Denise Anchu received a two-race suspension for his part in all the Kota, for in the Coda close call. So they've sat him down for two races. Is that too much, Rich? Is that harsh? Not harsh enough? Where do you stand? It's hard not to conclude that there's a bit of scapegoating going on on this one because whilst um, Anchu was responsible for causing that accident because he wasn't fully by uh, Alcoba, you, you know, so he touched him and, the, and down they went and all the chaos that ensued. So he was responsible for that. But I, I, it's a very harsh penalty for that in consideration of other things that we've seen throughout the whole of the season. So, but, you know, the, the organisers wanted to make a statement. Uh, and so Onchi was the guy. And I mean, he is one of the wilder riders as we've seen during his time in Moto3. But, you know, you could easily throw a two-race ban at Alcoba for some of the things that he's done this season and for numerous others as well. So it, it's a tough one, and I'm not saying it's not deserved and, and something did have to be done, but he's clearly been a bit hung out to draw on that one, in my opinion. Right. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. There is some scapegoating there. If you... the first, My first reaction to it was, well, good. We did something that is very tangible and very harsh, which that's going to send a message. And they probably, and, and also I thought maybe they sent it to the right person. Because if you look back through the races at Barcelona or at Mugello, Coda, I think, or even at uh, the Red Bull Ring, 
Anshu has a bit of a reputation as being a bit of a weaver. And I don't think anybody will besuage that. Where my other side of the coin, I'm thinking like, if you really, really want to control all this, you just sat him till next year. Which would have been an even harsher message across everybody. Like, whoa, these people are super serious about not weaving around. And I think, you know, I think you could easily put into the rule book a rule that says, hey, no weaving. You can pull out of the draft, you can pull alongside, but you're not, you can't bend all the way over to the pit wall. You can't come back again. If you're moving off of what you can call the natural racing line, you've in within a few bike widths, let's say, right? You have gone too far. When you go as a club racer, if you go to like Road America, if you go to like Daytona, they will tell you to not weave, to keep straight. And, you know, again, that's club, right? These guys are way better at it than anybody else. But still, there is that, you know, and they probably give them that reminder, but it's probably goes in one ear and out the other because you're talking about a world championship as opposed to a weekend warrior. But I still think there was just some scapegoating there. So, anyway. I mean, the other, the other point, Jim, is that we've got so many damn penalties that come in during oh, yeah. and, and potentially after a race. Do, do we want more? I, I, it all comes back, I guess, to the, the, the central thing that we've discussed over and over again, which is that the bikes run so close to each other. They're all so closely matched. And the toe is everything. I mean, I've, anybody that has the facility to go back and watch the Moto3 race in Barcelona this year, go back and watch that. It was a horror show, an absolute horror show. And Alcoba back in the pack up with two or three laps to go to make that problem even worse. I mean, he should have got a T-race ban for that, in my opinion, because it was out, absolutely outrageous and was completely dangerous to, to have done that. So, I mean, in, I know we're not supposed to talk about Formula 1, as I always say, but, you know, they have the one move and that's your lot rule right. in, in Formula 1. And you can't move after that and if you do you get you know you will get sanctioned for it so i do wonder whether they should be thinking along those lines what one other thing that i think um is, is kind of peripherally related to this which i think is wrong is that I, i'm not really sure that the team should be allowed to run a substitute rider when their main rider has been banned for an offense like that because there's also a responsibility on the team to manage their riders and if the teams can only one, run one bike, then they're losing out on some constructors' points and so on, which does have a, a material effect on them. So everybody would have a bit more skin in the game then. If a rider's injured, fair enough. But I think if a rider's been banned, I'm not sure the team should be allowed a sub. Just, just a thought. Ooh, that, that's that's a that's a tricky one. Let's let's shelve that for like an off season. Yeah, let's do that we, another time. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll have an off season show. And we'll call it Jim and Rich rewrite the rule book. Yep. <laughs> We'll go, down, we'll go down that list of all these things, right? So let's do that. Um, let's go back to the news. Garcia was still not cleared to race after his crash at Coda. His uh, kidney has not healed enough, so he was declared unfit. Uh, let's see. John McPhee, we now know what will happen to the Wee Scott. The Wee Scott will go and race alongside Suzuki and Max Biaggi's Stalgrada team next year. I'm interested to see what McPhee does there. That's a good team yeah. with a good bike. Um, Fanati has looked great on that bike at times. Um, and it might be the kind of team where John will succeed. Um, he's had some bad luck with Patronus. I'm not so sure he won't that, that bad luck won't follow him there. But I, I think Biaggi might be a little bit more of that arm around you, you can do it 
kind of a guy maybe i'm not sure yeah. i don't really know yeah. I, I, think I think it's a good he, move for john though i think it is yeah and it, what would have been terrible would have been for him not to have a ride in in moto three because yeah he, he does crash too much it's true but he's had quite a lot of bad luck as well so i think he you know he deserves that 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 shot next year again he needs at least one more shot at it i think yeah. i do think that next year might be the make or break because there's a lot of talented kids coming but they're and he's tried, he's, he's tried he's, he's tried him in a lot of occasions to, <laughs> yeah. to get into Moto2 as well. And, you know, he's had the he red ball to on yeah. that one. So, you know, hopefully it's his route in. Yep. So Lekawana and Xavi Verhe will go to Honda World Serpent Bike Team. We kind of had postulated that that Lekawana was going there. That was There was a lot of smoke there, so there had to be fire. The Verhe thing intrigues me because I didn't really expect him to go there. Uh, and not on that team, but you know he's had a try. He can't get to MotoGP, and he hasn't really shown the best in Moto2. So it's a good, probably a good. I don't want to call World Super like a consolation prize, but it's well, it kind of is. But yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't understand that move from HRC's point of view. One yeah. tiny little bit. I, I think it's one of the most bizarre signings. I mean, nothing, you know, I suppose against the guy. Well, I don't know him personally, obviously. So, but you know, he's off the bike more often than on it. D- drop him onto a bigger bike in a, on tires. He doesn't know tracks. He doesn't know for the most part, a series and bikes that he doesn't know. What's he going to do? He's just going to throw it at the scenery. I mean, you know, it's like putting Binder on the, on the Yamaha. I mean, I hope, you know, both of those teams have got a lot of spares lined up for next year because they're going to need them. Yeah, but you never know, man. He, the wild card is the fact that he could get on that bike, he could get on Pirelli's, and suddenly, magically, it just works. You do, you, you don't know because I mean, there's from HRC's point of view, you know, they're they're struggling to develop that bike. So, so you think he'd two... want a development rider, right? <laughs> Somebody oh, yeah. who's going to stay on it and get some, get you some result. Bautista's going back to Ducati, so that was one seat free anyway. But Haslam, he's done pretty well on the bike this year in World Superbikes. You know, and he's a great development rider. So to change both riders for two unknowns that are outside of the category, I think it's crazy, crazy behaviour from HRC. But they know better than I do, clearly. But isn't Leon... Leon's getting up in age, isn't he? I mean, he's got to be late 30s? Uh, Am I right? Maybe not as much as that. I'd okay. say probably early thirties. Um, but is but is a well-renowned test rider and, and has been pedalling the thing along pretty well this year, given that the bike is still looking quite underdeveloped, although has been getting much better in the second half of the World Superbike season this year. So to to chuck him off in favour of a complete wild card like that is a very very confident decision by HRC and the top brass. But as you say, maybe he'll surprise everybody. Lekwona. Should, shouldn't be out of Moto3, uh, MotoGP, in my opinion. But no. anyway, there no. we go. But anyway, yeah. All right, so the last bit of news. Ducati will build electric bikes for the Moto E World Championship from 2023 to 2026. I think this is huge because if Ducati believes in it enough to build the bikes, and I'm quite sure... They will be called a Ducati because you wouldn't do this if it wasn't going to be a Ducati. They, it, could, it could be a Hypermoto E or an E Hypermoto, whatever name they want to call this thing, right? Jim, yes, clearly right. it's going to be Ducat-E, isn't it? Yes, that's good. That's good. I like that. But what this opens up is how much 
how long is it after this, you know, in the late 2025, early part of 2026, do you hear the rumblings that Honda, aka HRC or Mugen is going to bring their Isle of Man TT type bike to the MotoGP grid or Yamaha may bring an electric bike or BMW may have an electric bike because they're, they're very much into that in their cars. So this is the opening to the floodgates of electric motorcycles that we're going to see. I, I really think that, I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing, a bad thing. I, I personally would like to see more use of alternative fuels in bikes. Keep an internal combustion engine, but just have a more carbon neutral fuel. I think there's a lot of things that could be learned there that you know you not necessarily learn from batteries but there's a lot to learn from batteries too right my knock on batteries is the fact that you know to to get the lithium and the other things that are in those batteries other heavy metals one you got to mine them out of the earth you got to dig them up it takes a lot of money a lot of effort a lot of energy to do all that you got to refine them smelt them all that kind of stuff and then once your battery is not uh, able to keep a charge anymore it goes and it gets thrown into some you know, how does it get recycled? So I don't, you know, there's that argument about green from every which way direction. I'm not going to stand here and say one thing about one or the other. I just think it's exciting because I think what's missing with the electric bikes is a brand name that we all can think about and be there with. And if, you know, it also does with this, Ducati doing this, it takes away the obscurity of electric bikes because it was a company that nobody's ever heard of that's making the mm. bike. That was it, a problem, yeah. That is a big problem. There's not a name behind it. And it brings all of the all of the uh, backyard engineering kind of people who were building bikes for the TT elect, for electrification. It brings them out to where hey, maybe you know, Ducati may want to talk to them or hire them or or consult them in some way shape or form. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I just think it's a really, really bold move by Ducati, and I, I applaud them. Well, I think it's a, a bold and a very uh, sensible move by both parties, quite frankly, because there's no doubt about it. There's, there's complex and uh, feats of engineering that the, the current – I can't but, – but like you said, I can't even remember what the name of the company is that has been building the motor e-bikes for the last three years, uh, Energica or something like this. But Yeah, it's something so, weird, yeah. Clearly, there was a perception – uh, you know, a, a marketing problem from from Dorna's point of view with with the Moto E class. So getting Ducati in there immediately says makes it sexy, for want of a better word. Oh, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, it, it will pull in fan kind of um, interest, but with, that perhaps was lacking before. And clearly, from Ducati's point of view, it's a huge marketing coup for them, and it puts them front and center in terms of getting electric bikes onto the road. And they've for my money, they've stolen a march on the, you know, the, the other manufacturers by getting themselves into that position because we can see the way the world's going. I mean, like you, I'm ambivalent towards electric as a, as a solution to all of the problems because I think it's vastly overrated for the reasons that you've just given. Plus, you've got to produce all the electricity. And so, and so how are you going to do that? But anyway, that, that's a political thing and that's not for this show. But, you know, Moto E is going to be here to stay for in some form or another. So it makes a lot of sense for both parties so fair, fair play yep all right i say we get to the racing from the weekend yeah all right so why don't we go to moto gp we'll start there because 
we finally awarded a world championship, which was kind of cool, but uh, it only happened for particular reasons, which we will talk about. So let's start with qualifying on the Saturday. Now, it rained all day Friday, I think, for practice, or most of it anyway. Wet, it was dry. definitely yeah. damp, wet, dry kind of a thing. It was the same thing on Saturday. It was a very cold, it was damp in patches, it was terrible. MotoGP did have, did run after Moto3. There was a drying track, there was a visibly dry line, but they did go out with slicks. Nobody was on a rain tire for this qualifying session. Interestingly, in the first qualifying session is Benyaya, Mir, Fabio Quattraro, Vinales, Bender, and Rins. Our good friend Skyler is correct now with his postulation that everybody would be in Q1 at some point this season because Quattraro was the only person who had made it to Q2 every single weekend until yep. this one. Yep. So, and again, one and two in this championship were in the first qualifying session. That's some pressure to get yourself out of there and get yourself up the grid because I don't, even though the forecast was for nice weather on Sunday, you really didn't know if it was going to be nice weather. So you needed to get yourself to the front. I don't think anybody wants to start 15th on the grid in a downpour. I've been in those and you can't see anything. And, and Quattro doesn't like those sort of wet, dry conditions. He does not know. like it when it's in between. It's either no. all wet or all dry and Quattro is fine. So the question was, do you go out in this session and stay on the bike and just keep turning laps because it was going to keep drying. You was going to, the track was going to develop. It was going to age. It was going to clear up. And do you, just, do you even risk coming back in again? Just keep the tires hot. Just keep going. It looks like everybody decided to sort of stay out, but we had numerous crashes. Mir had went down, Bashini went down, and basically it was uh, um, Benyaya and Lekawana that actually got through. Um, Quattraro, every time like Benyaya would go fastest, Quattraro would come around and he would be right behind him, and you thought Quattraro would make it out because he would just get there, but at the end... Quattro just was not fast enough to take that second spot. So Quattro wound up scenario, I think, 15th on, or would be uh, 15. No, he'd be farther than that. He, uh, he would have been higher up, but his, his fastest lap, I think, was disallowed because of track that's limits. That's right, yes. There was all, because everybody else back. was falling. There was yellow flags and sectors everywhere. It yep. was, it you know, it was like, what more could you want? I root for chaos. I got it. I loved it. You know, it, it, was, was, it was a crash fest all, week, all weekend, wasn't it? Oh, just completely. so many crashes. Yeah. So I actually have that. Yeah. Quattro had a yellow flag that infringed that he infringed upon, which put him back to 15th in the grid and on the, on the grid, which, you know, that's going to happen. That's the risk of being there. Right. So it was all, all going to play out, especially with Benyai going on. You know, that was the thing where you're like, well, okay. You know, so in the, in the second session, it's dried even more, but, but with Benyai going out, in the first session, he knew the track. He knew where it was wet. He knew where it was where he could go fast. He knew he could push right from the beginning and know where he was, which he did. And somebody named Mark Marquez tried to push and go with him, and wound up having probably one of the better saves I think I've seen him make in quite some time. 
Although yeah. it was really interesting. So yeah, there's really if you there's a great still shot of Marquez basically with both hands on the handlebar and he is completely with his like it looks like he's getting ready to do like a hill clicker like uh, motocrossers do, right? So what it yeah. looks like. It's That's it's a fascinating on, picture. As far onto the bars as you can go without going over the front, basically. Pretty close. Pretty close. Martin crashed and then he crashed again. Marquez actually fell off at turn six. It was Tech Three was having a great day. Lekawona had made it through, right? Petrucci yep. was there. They were both like at the very top of it all, but it became bad for Tech Three. As good as it was for Tech Three at the beginning, the last part of the qualifying it became a real hell on earth because they both fell and didn't even get any, you know, weren't anywhere near the top by by that point that it happened. So as you would expect, Ben Yai, who has been on fire for pole positions for over the past three weekends, put a fourth pole down. And he was the fastest. He was followed by his teammate, Miller, who at the very end wound up knocking uh, knocking everybody down a spot. Marini came through at the end to be third. And then you had a spar Paul Spargo, who sneakily got to fourth. I mean, nobody was talking about pole at all, and he suddenly kind of just showed up. Oliveira looked pretty decent on the KTM to start fifth. Morbidelli looked good in the wet. He was sixth. Marquez, given the time that he had set earlier because he crashed, he would start seventh. Like a one crashed, so he would start eighth. Petrucci crashed, he started ninth. Zarco, nothing was working for Zarco. So he, he crashed as he, well. I think he got, yep, that's right, crash, yep. crash as well. And so he was 10th. Alicia Sparger was 11th. And then Martin, who crashed, was 12th. And then we had Quattro having started 15th. The simple, the simple mass was that uh, basically what uh, Quattraro. Well, if we get to the race, I guess I should say um, it was uh, Quattraro just had to basically outscore Benyayev by tw- by fifty one points. It, so his total, if he had fifty one points by the end of the weekend, and Benyayev, it, it wouldn't matter whatever Benyayev did, he would be world champion because he would have the advantage with two races left. There's only fifty points to play for. And Ben Yaya couldn't overtake because Ben Yaya would overtake him with number of wins for the season. Yeah, so that was I what think, we were looking for. I think he needed to outscore him by eight points or something eight points in the race eight, yeah. to, to like take that, it yeah. out of reach. Yeah. What well, one thing just to say, uh, Jim, on, on Ben Yaya's pole position, that's the first time four consecutive Ducati poles by the same rider since Stoner back in 2008. Yeah, Ben Yaya is fantastic uh, at qualifying. Yeah, it's it's the it's the other part of his game that needs to be sort of touched up on if you yep. will so let's get let's get to that part in the in the in the moto gp race um bender crashed on the outlap which was interesting i was like well there was no footage of it there's no camera work of it nobody caught it because i don't think anybody thought it would happen but sort of like a la casey stoner to valencia that one year right something yes. to that effect so that caused bender to have to go back to the pits they had to repair the bike which meant he would start the warm-up lap from the pit lane, and then he would appear on the grid as the last man going. So that's that part of it. As the race started, important to note that the Ducatis went with the hard front tire. Both Miller and uh, Benyaya had the hard on. Like Marquez, Polisbargaro, Quattraro, they all went with a medium front and a medium medium rear. Some were on Marquez. I think had a soft rear, which was his preference. But it was the medium front. That is a crucial element of it. Benyai gets the whole shot. He's gone. Miller's behind him there. Oliveira looking good. Marquez kind of went up a little bit, then down a little bit behind. Then it was his teammate Polisberger behind him. Morbidelli was a top six. Mir got a jump start. 
So he was going to have to do a double long lap penalty because of it. It was just a little bit too good. But then Mir and Petrucci go down at turn two. And, well, you know, I think uh, they give Mir a penalty for that. I have not read anything that they did or did not. It was talked about because it was questionable because it, it was a little bit on the edge. I Yes, I, I must admit, I haven't seen whether or not he got a penalty for that. Um, what I do know is that uh, Dino Petrucci is one of the nicest men on planet Earth because he went straight over and kind of hugged him and said, don't worry about it, which given that it was his last race in Italy and his birthday as well to boot, uh, was a fairly magnanimous uh, gesture from a guy who's uh, going to be missed, I think. Yes, very much so, very much so. So Miller fell. He was down and out at turn 15. Turn 15 took victim after victim in qualifying, and it was unrelenting. It decided it wanted to take victim after victim on race day. Carnage. It was carnage at turn 15. So after that, we had Oliveira sliding backwards. Marquez had moved to second. He was followed by his teammate in uh, in third. Again, you know, Miller's down, so that's how they move up. Then it was just seemed to be like it was all just going to be they're going to kind of ride home that way. Ben, we've seen this before, right? Ben is out front, Marquez is behind him, Marquez is with him. He's putting pressure on him, but not really. Ben has can withstand pressure. We've we've seen that before, so that's kind of what we're looking for. Like, okay, well then, wait a minute, where's Quattararo? Well. At the very beginning, Quattraro, again, he started in 15th. Uh, by by three four laps in, he was at 11th. Uh, by 20 laps to go, he was at 10th. So he was starting to slowly put himself together. He was able to get some traction, get going. Uh, then we had Martin, who went down at turn one. Quattraro had made himself up to ninth. This is like about halfway through the race. But it's still just Benyaya, Marquez, Espargaro, Oliveira. Aleish Morbidelli. That doesn't seem to be changing anywhere. It still hasn't changed with 10 to go. It's still the same, except for Renz has now moved into the to the bot into uh, third, fourth, fifth spot, and but Quattro has moved to seventh. So Quattro is making up time or whatever, and then suddenly Quattro becomes fifth. Well, that he's he's fifth then, and then we get to, to where we get five five laps to go, and because we were with the speed that Quattro was carrying, he had a shot at a podium. He had a podium speed, he, and he could have been on the podium, which was, would have been great because that would limit the damage of what he had going into it. But then the drama hits with five laps to go. Benyaya bails at turn 15. And with that fall into the gravel trap, Benyaya become, or sorry, Quattraro becomes world champion. He is the first French world champion in the premier class. And so all he had to do was ride it in from that point. But who did that put out front? One, Mark Marquez, who was followed by his teammate and whatnot. The theory that Simon Crafar had about Bagnaia's fall is the hard tire. It's late in the day because the MotoGP race happens, I think, at 2 local time. So that race is getting on into at 45 minutes, roughly. It's getting close to three in the afternoon at that time, which was what, 1500 hours. So the temperature was starting to fall. The cloud cover had come back in. The breeze had picked up. The track surface had probably cooled off a few degrees. We know how close the working window for temperature is on the Michelins. And Benyaya simply gambled on the wrong tire and lost and went to the gravel trap. The race 
finished uh, finished out. Uh, yeah, sorry. So and not only did Benyaya fall with five laps to go, Oliveira Oliveira fell off as well, which meant that Quattraro was going to be third. So he would have been on the podium at this point. There's five laps to go at this point. Cue the shark music. <laughs> yeah, cue the shark music. You're thinking like, what a way to go out. You have Marquez on the on the winning pole is second. Quattro quite literally could have possibly been was third and could quite possibly have gotten to pole. But I think Quattro having gotten the board that Benyaya was down sort of eased up a mite, which in figured you know all he's got to do is ride home. He rides home. He's world champ. It's over yep. with at that point. So why not? But what happened there at that point is that Marini suddenly just appears on scene. Bastianini. Like, so Bastianini, sorry. Marini, Bastianini. They're Italians, right? I'm, Folks, I do this all the time. I put play names in places where they shouldn't be. But Bastianini on the two-year-old Ducati had suddenly found the fire and was charging like a madman up through the pack. And so much so that on the last lap, Marquez goes on to win. Pole finishes second. Quattro got pimped by Bastianini like in the last turn. On the, like not the last turn, but he got pimped on the last lap, last couple yep. corners. So he would come home in fourth. Then Zarco was fifth. Renz was sixth. Aleish was seventh. Vignala's eighth. Marini ninth. Marini had really good qualifying. Marini had really good race. So I think that's why Marini's on my mind. Rossi got a top 10 for his fans at the end. Then it was Bender, Piro, Divisioso. Like, on Dewey had, like, he looked horrible all weekend. All weekend. It was terrible yeah. to see. Then Morbidelli and Nakagami. They were the final point scorers of the race. So, congratulations to Fabio Quattraro for having won the world championship. Well deserved. Yes. Marquez wins on a, what would it be? A clockwise track. For the yep. first time in 735 days. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying that what Marquez is back, but to at least just win on a track that's going the other way around, it was a big, big thing for him. Yeah. Mentally, well, you, however you want to look at it. As you saw when he went across the line, he was kind of flexing his right arm as he went over and I, you know, I think that was clearly saying yeah. my, my right arm's back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. I agree. But it was, it was very much a kind of a case of deja vu, you know, when you think back to the first race in Mizano, cause you had, although Banyar won that race, but uh, you, you know, Banyar out front for most of the race with Marquez very close behind and Bastianini storming through from almost nowhere to grab a podium. So it was, it was very much a case of deja vu, but it, and it was, it was a very compelling race. And also, rather under the radar as well as Paul Spargro was was Maverick Vinales I have to say coming in eighth yeah uh, and only yeah. just behind his teammate uh, that was a, a good ride which went unnoticed as, as a couple of other things did I mean as you said Binder's weird crash uh, on the sighting lap wasn't caught which and that was weird for a guy to fall off you know this is a guy that won a race in the rain on slicks and then he falls <laughs> off <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, on a dry track. Anyway, who knows? And then Oliveira's crash. The, the cameras clearly had an aversion to, to KTM's on Sunday because that one wasn't caught either. But I think I think he went down at the same corner as, as Banyaya. Probably I don't, for the same I, reason. I'm not sure. I have one theory about what happened to Bender. 
when they do the siding lap and they or sorry yeah the siding lap where they come out yeah. of the pits and they come to the grid they do not have the tires on the bikes that they are going to use in the race my speculation is that they had maybe tucked a tucked a heart in there or something and he bender didn't realize it or forgot or just simply didn't you know your mind it may not be there somewhere it just turned the gas on on a hard tire and just whooped away it went yep. mm. So it's a theory. We'll never know. Brad's not going to tell us. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he's not. So with that, I, if you think about the championship, Fabio Quattararo has an unsurmountable 65-point lead. He is world champion, followed by Benyaya, Mir, Zarco, Miller. Marquez has now moved to sixth. I mean, three wins in the year for Marquez. If you had told me that in the beginning, would you have, would you have believed that he'd get three wins? Well, I wouldn't have. He didn't even start the first two races, I think, did he? So right. to be sixth in the championship and moving up quick. So uh, I think he displaced, uh, no, he didn't displace Miller. Zarco did. But yeah, Marquez is charging up the up the leaderboard at the moment. I mean, he's not going to care because, I mean, nah. all he cares about is world champion. But uh, but no, I mean, fantastic for Marquez. And, you know, next year is a mouthwatering prospect. Marquez back to, let's say, almost full fitness. Maybe he'll never be quite, quite the, the yeah. mark that he was because of that injury that he's carrying. But That's him tasty. and Quattraro, that is going to be tasty. Oh, yes. So one other thing before we leave MotoGP, I thought Benyaya was absolutely perfect at what he... He walked out to the pit lane when Quattraro rode in. He gave him a handshake, a hug, you know, patted him on the back. I thought it was great sportsmanship. I'd love to see that. That's yep. really the only place that you really ever see that kind of sportsmanship is usually around some form of racing. Although I will throw a shout out to the guys in hockey after a playoff battle, seven games, they will line up and they will shake hands and go through the handshake line. But I just, even, even the, who, who, who's the head boss of Ducati? He was there. Oh, um, uh, I always want to call him, uh, <laughs> the Brett notes, um, Paolo Chibati. Paolo Chibati. I think it's I think it's probably right. not quite. But no, not no, quite. he was great, wasn't he? Going he was great. He walked down. He him he embraced uh, uh, David Brivido. Uh, not David Brivido. I, I get this wrong every single time. Lynn Jarvis. Lynn Jarvis. Or maybe Mayo, Mayo Gali or whatever. It was Lynn Jarvis. Or maybe it was Mayo yeah. Gali. They went down. They went down. They congratulated the Yamaha team. I thought it was incredible sports. You, it's your home turf, right? And so... Yeah that was even better for all of that so in, in fact the, the the outpouring of you know congratulations to fabio as he went around the lap and came into the pits from from loads of people it was so yep. great to see and it's continued online you know on social media just from all over the sporting world as well it's been yep. great to see it goes it to has. show what a high profile moto gp has i've just got to say one thing i've been meaning all day and i haven't got around to it to go onto ebay to see if there's a crash helmet for a couple of hundred thousand euros uh, <laughs> rossi's <hell> <laughs> What is that thing worth? I have no idea. You have Valentino Rossi's one-off commemorative last race on Italian soil helmet. Yeah, that's worth some cash. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, if, if if it's me and I'm in that stance and I grab that helmet, it's never leaving my possession. It would be yeah. framed in some wall and sit there, you know, bug smashes, whatever else all on it. It was great. Somewhat ahead, amazed because I don't know if you've ever seen any of the YouTube stuff of Rossi's garage or warehouse, I should, <laughs> I should call it, where he's got uh, every set of leathers, every set of yeah. gloves, all kind of in neat little glass drawers, every crash helmet, and 
for him not to have that one in his collection, I kind of think, wow, that was a big deal for him to to toss that one into the crowd. Yeah, it was. That was huge. That was huge. It was huge. But it. Think about it though. It, Rossi has given so much to the sport that MotoGP really wouldn't be kind of where it is at the level that it is without Rossi. Yeah. He became a household name across all media platforms. So it was why not just go out with like a serious bang on the, the last go round, right? It yeah. was it, it was it was tough. I, I I admit I will be choked up a little bit when we get done at Valencia in Spain, when Rossi is actually really done. Because it's it is truly the end of an amazing era, and mm. some of the things that that man had to live through. And the other the other part too, I don't think that we we recognize this, but remember Rossi was involved in that terrible crash with Simicelli, and that's been ten years, ten yeah. years on from that crash that we lost Simicelli. That he's racing in Italy for someone that he called his brother at the track that's named for that person, and I mean it was just. You, you, the emotion. Rossi was choked up. Rossi was, you know, Rossi's literally jokey and you know, whimsical, if you will. Yeah. Plays at the camera. Happy go lucky. Yeah. Yes, happy go lucky. That was not Rossi that time. So, anyhow, that is that. So I think we should go to Moto Two. Yep. All right, Moto Two. So we'll look at it from a quali- qualifying perspective because I like to look at that. In qualifying in there, we wound up with, uh, in the first session was Bezecchi, DG Antonio, Arbolino, Gartho, Navarro, and Arenas are all in there. Roberts had had a tumble. Joe Roberts had a tumble, the American. He was not fit to race, so he wasn't going to be riding. We also know that Bezecchi was going to go race for Rossi's MotoGP team, or we, th- or we think that that's happening, right? It, so mm. there will be an announcement later. But uh, Bezecchi had crashed at turn 9, uh, so did uh, Arbolino at 15, Schroeder crashed at 6, Corsi was also down, so was Marcone, and so was Baltus. Again, it was a true crash fest. Cam, Cam Bobier lost out, and he wound up, I think, crashing as well. And then it was Navarro, Arenas, Gartho, and Bobin Schneider all having passed through that first session of disaster <laughs> to the second session of it, which was which played out with a scary incident where Vierge, who was down first? Was it Dixon or Vierge? I don't have yeah, it clearly he, written down. Vierge. Yeah, he w- yeah. went down first, yep. Okay. yep. So Vierge had went down, I think that was at 15 as well. It was. And the corner workers are out to recover Verhey's bike and do their thing. When here comes Jake Dixon's bike tumbling through. And from the one angle, the one corner worker was missed it by, what would you say, Rich? A couple feet, maybe? A couple of feet, yeah. Three feet, maybe. It was close. scary. It's reminiscent of the crash that Cal Crutchlow had at Silverstone uh, several years ago. Yeah, Marcus. Cal had crashed yeah. at the, what, is it the end of the Wellington Straight, I think. He no, have, it was, no, no, it was going Woodcott, down into, into Woodcock? Into club. No, it was down at the bottom, down okay. into club corner, the, the, okay, sort of the club. slow left, right. Yep. Yep. So into club, Cal's down, the re, the marshals all come running out. And what was funny is if you, sorry, it's not funny. Okay. It's funny in retrospect. But the corner captain was on his job, on his, he was on his A game because 
Those are they just get Cal's bike up. He's got the air horn blaring, which if you've never corner worked, there's a corner captain who's in charge of that corner. And his job is when he sends his team out, he pays attention to what's coming on the track. And if something happens that is an emergency that everybody needs to vacate, he blows an air horn. So never bring an air horn to the events, people, because it's important so that the corner workers know because that's the thing that they're looking for. Bring your smoke bombs and whatnot and flares. That's fine, but don't bring an air, air horn or don't use it during the race, okay? How about that? PSA from us here at Motopod. Anyway, so then Marquez goes tumbling through the gravel trap with it. And again, you know, luckily the air horn was there. Everybody got out of the way. Nobody hit the bike or whatnot. So it was reminiscent of it. It was scary. It was close, but... Uh, Vietti was then down. Um, Ogura went down, but we had Gardner and everybody else that were in there trying to get through on this. Raul was having a tough time getting in to it to the front as well. But it turned out that the guy who was who could who qualified the best was the Brit Sam Lowe's. He would take the pole. Navarro would be second. Augusta Fernandez showed very well to be third. Canet then Vietti's time, Chelsea Vietti's time would stand. Then Ramirez, Manzi, Arenas, Fernandez would be would start ninth. He's number two in the championship. At this point, he's nine points behind um, Remy Gardner. And then Remy wouldn't start until 14th. Remy got caught out with the yellow flags, couldn't get a lap in. It was a helter-skelter qualifying session, which set us up for a pretty dramatic Moto2 race. You want to yeah. talk about that one, Rich? Because it's a Brit yeah. winning a um, race. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just backtracking slightly to, sure. to Dixon. He did cop a, a penalty for that. I think he had to serve... Uh, a no, pit lane start, yeah. maybe? Um, or was it a long lap? He, he, he did get penalized for that. Yeah. But again, I'm not, not picking on Jake Dixon because, you know, we see this all through all the little classes. But, you know, they... <laughs> They get kind of penalised for not slowing down, you know, they, or they lose their lap. But they, I personally think they should be much more stringent in enforcing the. If there's a yellow flag, you you do slow down visibly, because you know that's what the yellow flag means: slow down, danger ahead. You know, and what they're tending to do now is, again, because of this yellow flag rule, which I don't particularly like the way that rule works in the sense that they can sort of go through at full speed and then they just lose that lap you know if if the sensors and whatever show that they went through when there was a yellow flag in force but they really ought to be slowing down and and you know i think dixon's point was that that crash had happened sort of fairly immediately in front of him and it might even have been that he reacted to the yellow flag slightly and he just tucked the front like so many people did at that corner as a, as a result of the yellow flag perhaps i mean who knows but it does rather strike me that they need to look at yellow flags again the other thing is that that was 17 poles uh, for Sam Lowe's, who has been in Moto2 a long time now. So, you know, stats favour him, I suppose, somewhat. But that's, I think, the the record now. Yes. I was just trying to think of who he who he beat for the record. I'm guessing it would have been probably somebody like Tito Rabat or somebody it like that. It was Tito Rabat. Yes, it was Tito Rabat. Kind of Moto2 um, achiever. Uh, not anywhere else particularly, but certainly in Moto2 he was. Anyway, yeah, so... Going on to the Moto2 race, he says, hurriedly going through his notes, because I've got loads of notes from this weekend, because there was so much going on. It was kind of like all three races, really. It was it was kind of a race all about two riders. Each race was like that because of what's at stake. So heading off from the, the lights, uh, Aaron Connett got a good start, and he was straight into first place. And we're thinking, hey, 
you know, maybe we're going to find out what that bow tie is all about. Oh, man, I want to know what that bow tie is all about. Yeah, whether I we'll ever find out, I don't we, know. We'll but... find out next year he's going to be on a KLX. True. He's True. on what, Cito Pons' team, right, I think? Yes, so yes, he is. Then yeah. that's a good team, so. Him and Navarro, I think. Uh, uh, I think so, yeah, that. so, yeah. The, yeah, we'll know what the bow tie is all about next year, people. Yep, um, but it was a race, really. I mean, all of our attention was fixated on Raul Fernandez and, uh, and Remy Gardner. But at the front, out front, you had, um, uh, at the start out front, rather, you had uh, a Boscoscuro 1-2 for a period of time, which was uh, a slightly unusual thing. So Navarro had been having a, a pretty solid weekend, and, and he'd managed to get ahead of Canet, uh, I think around about lap four. So those two guys were out front to start off with. But then they started to tangle each, with each other, and that kind of allowed Sam Lowe's, who had been super fast all weekend, but got his sort of normal, slightly sluggish start, um, so he got through into first place. And at this point, Raul Fernandez, I think, was in third place. And Gardner, who had started further back, was kind of making progress. But it was all looking a bit of a struggle. I don't know what you thought at this point, Jim. But I think around about four or five laps in, he was in eighth place and didn't look as if he was going to be making a huge amount of progress. No, he, it looked like Remy was going to stagnate. He was definitely not the Remy Gardner that we saw at the first Mazzano. That's for sure. He, uh, yes. He... There was something about the setup or the track conditions that did not play to his hand, and Gardner looked sloppy. I'll just put it that way. He was not comfortable. Yeah, for sure. Again, we've talked we've talked about whether or not the pressure's you know because obviously the the pressure is immense. I'm trying to think what the points difference between the two is. It eight points separating. It was nine, I think. Nine. Okay, so, so I mean it was, it was a super was super it's, tense. Yeah, it's, yeah. There was this is this one this championship has become the best championship. It has been for quite some time to try to for the points, you know, and you've yeah. kind of seen these two really kind of just duke it out. And I'm like, oof, this is not looking good for Remy. But I'm like, well, you got two more races and that tracks that Remy does fairly well at. So, well, well and on that point, what to... uh, lap seven, you know, things looked as if they might be getting even worse for Remy because he put uh, what can only be described as a fairly firm pass on Sonkiat Chantra. Um, uh, yeah. At the kind of, it's not a hairpin, but you know that that slow turn, yeah, it's a tight the, the, section there, fast yeah. back straight, and um, yeah, kind of to I don't know if he clips a handlebar or, or a foot peg or what it was, but anyway, uh, Chantra went down, um, and we we're all thinking, oh no, that's in, in this day and age, that's uh, that's a nailed on penalty of some description, but they didn't that, penalize him, which I thought was correct because no, they did, they gave him a long lap, they gave Remy a long lap for that one. I'm sure they did. Yeah, I'm, yeah that's well, right. They did. Notes, they did. I'm out of whack. Yeah. I'm out of whack. Sorry. It took it's a few been a long laps. Day. I told you guys that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all that, all that math. Um, <laughs> it took him a few laps to make the decision, as is inevitably the case. But yeah, we kind of knew, sort of lap seven onwards, with that move that he made, that he was probably going to drop back a little bit further. Um, from your point of view, and, and American fans, unfortunately, Cam Bobier went down uh, on turn 14 which was uh, not a necessarily a very common place to crash. I'm not actually sure that we saw it on the footage, um, actually. Um, and the other thing that started to sort of transpire at this point was that Sam Lowe's out front was starting to look a bit shaky, was having kind of rear, lots of rear end moments. And we were starting to think, oh dear, maybe he's burnt his rear tire out. Um, and that kind of left uh, Raul Fernandez as the guy that we thought, here we go again, he's, he's going to do it. And I'm trying to remember, Jim, had he got through into first place or was he chasing Lowe's down? Cause I'm oh, he was to... in first. He had gotten okay. by, he had gotten by Sam. 
Right. And it looked as though that Raul was just going to rock it off into the distance, and it was going to be, you know, four straight race wins for the kid. Because he and has looked untouchable out front, he hasn't has. he? Sort yep. of, um, what we've been describing as, or I have, is sort of Lorenzo-like in his yes. kind of yes. sort of flowing lines and corner speed and so on. Yeah, but he then, had gotten in front of he had gotten in front of Lowe's. He pulled a bit of a gap, maybe half a second, one second, somewhere around there. A little, you know, a little ebb and flow in that. And so you're thinking, okay, this kid's just got this under control. He's going to put it on cruise. And then your attention kind of swings back to, well, where's Remy going to show in this? Yeah. And then, you know, well, potentially the, the, the moment of the weekend, really, uh, which is a big claim given, you know, what else happened during the weekend. But going into turn eight, he, he, well, I'm going to say he lost the front end. We're going to have a little bit of a chat about this, I think, because initially it looked as if he might have just touched the white line or something and just lost the front. But then when you saw the front on replay, you saw a distinct, he, he locked the front solid because you saw a, a distinct puff of smoke coming off the tyre, almost as if the brakes had failed or, or something had happened to cause that front to lock unexpectedly. And down he went. And I mean, that bite, he wasn't getting back on that thing. I mean, it was a skip job i think uh probably there wouldn't have been much they could have reclaimed off that bike so i mean a huge moment in the race fernandez down yes that braking incident that he had again i thought he had gotten himself onto the white line We're, we all know that that's slick when it's wet the paint you stay away from the paint i thought he had that but then again you look at that replay and you see the front tire lock up and he goes down i mean he went from straight up to down in a heartbeat it just happened in within a second and it Makes me wonder if something did not happen to the braking system of the motorcycle. I do not know what system that they use. I don't know if it's a Brembo-based system or not. It maybe I I do not know. But it's almost as if like for some way somehow like they had a bubble in the line, and maybe you know he was he was used to that sort of long pole, and either he had adjusted that pole early up. And then the bubble shook free. And then when he grabbed it, it was way too much sensitivity. Because, you know, they have that. If you ever look at the onboard, on the left-hand side, there's a knurled plastic knob that's right above the clutch lever. Well, that's to mm -hmm. adjust the position of the brake lever on your on your right side. Well, because you, you can't do it with your right hand because you can't let off the gas. But I, I'm, you know, I went back and tried to watch the race again with that footage. I never saw him touch that, the adjustment. So I don't really know. I am purely in speculation mode here, but I can't imagine him just deciding that he was going to grab that much front brake because if you know it's going to happen, you can feel that, and then you let off. You instinctively want to let off or release that pressure off of it. The system had something wrong with it. I'm, I'm almost convinced of it, and I'm not trying to put blame on Brembo or whoever's making their braking system. It happens. The weird things do. Temperature changes have massive effects. You had that much humidity and whatnot. You can get water that will condensate inside. These guys know all that, and they, they fight against it. But it, it any of that stuff is possible given the conditions you're in that weekend, that anything can get in there and get it. But it was definitely... He wasn't expecting it. There was mm. no way that Raul was expecting that bike to lock up like it did and then just go zooming on down the track. That bike was destroyed. It was There was nothing on that bike that was good. I think it, what is it like, was it 50? It's an amazing amount of money for a set of Olin's forks. I know that. A set of Olin's race forks are hugely expensive. Those were trash. 
that frame was pretty much trash. And I'd be willing to bet that that Triumph motor was trash too because yeah. it just destroyed that bike. And it was shameful. But that was a huge moment because now suddenly Remy got sort of a reprieve from, I think at that point, the the race tally, if it would race ended like that, I think Raul was going to be leading the world championship and he was going to be leading it by almost 20 points or something close to that. It was, it was, it was, it was a huge be a swing. Decent, it was a big swing. It was a yeah. huge swing. Yeah. It was a huge um, swing going the other way. I mean, as it was, Gardner wasn't really, because he had had the long lap penalty, which obviously just put him further back. He wasn't really able to capitalize and make, you know, make Raul really, really suffer for it. But anyway, heading into the last few laps, but predictably, Vierge uh, went down. I mean, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, um, I nothing more to say there for me. I'm going to be quiet Lowe's, in the peanut gallery. Yeah, Lowe's was continuing to have what looked like rear rear tire troubles, but but clearly got his second win because Canet had got through into first place. But as I say, um, with about four laps to go, Lowe's kind of got his second win or decide, just decided he was going to sort of win it or bin it. So he got back on through and just pulled out a gap. Uh, so unfortunately, we, we still don't get to find out what the bow tie was all about. But the uh, and then the race just sort of ran out from there, really, with the sort of the big news having happened. So um, the only other thing that happened right towards the end was Bezeki, unfortunately, in that rather uh, interesting <laughs> Valentino Rossi um, celebration gear, uh, the bright yellow. He went down at turn 15 again. So that did gift another point uh, place to, to Gardner. So in the end, it, it round out with uh, Lowe's taking the win. Uh, Augusto Fernandez actually, who had stealthily yeah. moved his way through, nothing he was on fire at the end. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean Fernandez was flying at the end. He he had this. He started way down. If I in there, if I remember qualifying, yeah. he was yeah, he, qualify? he was third in qualifying. But he had what? Why? I, I don't even have it in my notes why Fernandez because it was so concentrating on the oh, championship. I forgot he, he had, had a long lap. Long lap. He had, he had a long well. lap from qualifying. Yeah, from, from he bulked, or something. He bulked uh, Kinnett. He bulked Kinnett. He bulked Kinnett, yes. So he yeah. had a long lap, which he took very early on and then came flying back through. So yeah. great race so by, he's by sort of stealthily worked his way back through, kind of Bastianini style. Um, so, yeah, he, he came in second. So, you know, one, two for Mark VDS, uh, which was good for them. Then you had um, uh, Aaron Kinnett in third. So bow tie on, but no, no, no clue as to why. Uh, then it was uh, Vietti, uh, Navarro, Manzi, Gardner came in seventh in the end. So a reasonable haul of points, but he'll be ruined the fact that, you know, he, he could have really made him pay. Could have, could have finished probably fifth or fourth, maybe even if he hadn't had that long lap penalty. Um, uh, Did Antonio uh, Aguirre put in a reasonably solid rise. Then Ramirez in 10th, Arenas, uh, Bo Ben Schneider, Jake Dixon got a 13th, which wasn't so bad. Uh, Tom Lutey and uh, Marcel Schrotter in 15th. So the points as a result of all of that is that Gardner goes to 280 points with Ralph Fernandez on 262. So there's an 18-point gap now. So a couple of races to go. I mean, it's still definitely all to play for. Um, yeah. It only takes one, one of them to go down, and then it you know it swings majorly in one or other's favour. Um, Bezeki is on third, back in on 206 points but he's obviously well out of it now 74 points down uh Lowe's has dropped down into fourth place now but you know has obviously boosted his points up with the win and uh Augusto Fernandez is, is into fifth place in the championship on 151 points so yeah that championship is still very tense and uh looking forward to Portimao where 
I've been looking at the weather, the long range weather forecast already. And at the moment it says it's going to be dry and sunny, but that place can be really torrentially wet uh, when it wants to be. So, you know, you, you never know there. Mm, it's, it's interesting. I think, didn't Gardner, I was trying to think if Gardner won at Port of Mile earlier this, earlier this year. I can't remember. No, he won look. the last race last year, I believe when he was on the, um, uh, well, he obviously wasn't on the IO bike, was he? But, um, Oh, I, I, one thing I've got to say, uh, Aki Ayo, I mean, that that guy has got his emotions well and truly under control because they shot to him in the pits after Fernandez had crashed uh, and he just doesn't show any any reaction to anything at all. Oh, Raul won there at Porto Mayo and Remy finished third because remember he he banged uh, Joe Roberts out of the way to get the podium. Oh, right. Okay. I had, to look, sure, I had to look back at that. <laughs> sure, Gardner won the, the second Porto Mayo race last year. That might be it, yeah. Pretty sure he did. So Raul obviously goes fast there. This is going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, this is the one to really watch. And Raul Fernandez won the Moto3 race there, the second Portimao race last year as well. Ooh, that's true. So, yeah. wow. So, we, are, we have some – this is going to be fun. Fun, 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 fun. Oh. Well, let's go to Moto3. What do you say? I think that's a good idea because this was another pot, another pot boiler. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. So let's look quickly at the qualifying in this. So in that first qualifying session for Moto3, you had uh, Masia was there, Mino, Alcoba was there, Suzuki, McPhee, Finati, Antonelli. Um, Antonelli, Rossi, McPhee, and Masia all went. Fernandez, Finati missed out of that session. And in the second session, um, Antonelli was, was head and shoulders above everybody by 1.3 seconds. Foggia was absolutely nowhere to be found in this at all he could not get going on the when moto 3 qualified it was a it wasn't properly wet it but damp. it was a damp it was a damp track yeah. and i think uh, every, most people had a had a rain on um and they were there some people had gambled with a rain on the front and a slick on the rear but it never turned right for them so it was kind of puts you into that mixed up uh mismatch of people going in places that you weren't there but in that the second session it finally finished off with Antonelli taking the pole. Slatch would be second. Rossi would have a front row start. Then Guevara, Acosta qualifying fifth, which was a pretty good qualifying session for the kid. He was definitely there. He looked like, hey, he's going to make Foggia pay for this because Foggia would start 14th. In between them all was then his teammate Masia in sixth, uh, Alborosura seventh, Nepa. Artigas, and you know we didn't hear anything about that Moto Three team from China this week, at all, and that's really weird because we don't know where Artigas and Tatai are going, because they were linked to that team, which is mm. weird. So I, I don't know what's going on there. So we'll have to keep our eye on that one. Something, something's up. You know, just who knows. Uh, but anyway, McPhee was like 12, Faja 14th. I think we said that, and uh, Bender was in 16th. So you know, we'll see what happens there because hey, that kid will come from the back, right? So we go yeah. into the Moto3 race, and basically uh, what it came down to was that Foggia could not lose 21 points to Acosta. So if, if that happened, Acosta would be world champion. It was probably not really going to be that way. But one of the interesting things at the beginning, everybody took the soft Dunlap rear option, except Acosta, who took the hard Dunlap option. I was shocked, completely and totally shocked. But 
I stop and I think, okay, this kid has a really good team with him. The IO team is really good. He's confident in his abilities, and perhaps maybe he just feels comfortable on that tire, or he felt like he had a better chance at being quick at the end on that tire as opposed to being on the soft tire and burning it all up. Not sure which way this was going to play out, but it added an interesting element to watch as the race went on. Antonelli got the whole shot, followed by Guevara, Rossi, Slatch, Masia. Acosta kind of fell down to 7th. Foggia had gotten was 16th at the first place that I could actually count bikes back to. Yep. At that point, it was like, okay, let's see what's happening, you know, but the that first group of Nepa, Antonelli, Masia, Guevara, and Acosta, they wound up having a lead of about four-tenths over the rest of the guys behind it. Foggia was 13th, right? And so it was like, okay, so Foggia started to make up some ground, but not a whole lot. Rossi went down. Um, Ramirez had got had ran into uh, McPhee. Then Foggia was like 1.4 behind the lead nine. So Foggia had made his way in that pack that he was in. He had got to the head of it. He became the lead conductor of that group of bikes, which was 1.4 seconds behind the front nine that were there. What was interesting was Mino had come through with Foggia out of that group. So Mino stayed right with Foggia and didn't try to pass him, didn't try to go around him, but let Foggia just drag those two towards the front. They were clicking off laps and they were catching the lead group. Nobody else from that second group could go with the pace of those two. Now McPhee fell off trying to go with them because he was in that second group and he fell off trying to go with them. By 15 laps, laps to go, it was Antonelli, Nepa, Guevara, Acosta was there, Masias, and um, Sasaki. Now we've got Foggia in 10th. Then we had Acosta go to the front. It was the first time we seen him at the front in a long time. And it was like, ooh, okay, maybe he's got something with this hard tire because we only had 12 laps to go. So we've, we've got half the race or almost half the race gone. And you're wondering what's going to happen. Then Aminio crashed at turn 16, one of the main places. Guevara went back to the front, followed by Masia. Then, whoa, Foggia had gone through the pack. Like, from the time that he was 10th at lap 15 to the point that we get five laps later, Foggia had caught the lead group, had gone through the lead group, and was now running in third. And then and then it was Bender behind him, and then Acosta and Nepa. Then one lap later, Foggia is out front. So Foggia had come from as far back as you could possibly almost be to wind up leading in the race. And it was like, whoa. The question was, we knew Foggia was on that soft tire. Was he going to burn up that soft tire and now go backwards? Because he had to have been, he was turning near record laps. I mean, they were, he was fast. I mean, I don't know if it was near record, but he was a good two tenths faster than almost everybody else who was behind him. Guevara would go down at turn eight. And then Acosta got stuck behind Nepa. He couldn't get back by Nepa to save his life, no matter what he did. And that's kind of a point at the end that we were talking about earlier, Rich, about mm-hmm. Acosta's attitude. And I think this is maybe part of it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go with that. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get on it. We'll, we'll explain it all. So that was with six laps to go. At five laps to go, it's Foggia, Masia, Bender, now Acosta's got back to the podium. He has made his way around Nepa in there. But then Foggia and Masia had moved themselves out to about a 1.9 second lead. They just simply, the hammer went down and those two went and that's how they went. 
And then Binder was sort of stuck in the middle because then it was like 1.7 seconds to Nepa, who had gotten back by Acosta again, which there. And then we wound up that, well, whoa, we, we realized that Binder was sort of like in trouble. Like the he had run out of tire, something had happened. But Foggia went on to win the race, which was a great ride by him. Masia, of course, was right there with him. And we were following that whole thing. We weren't really looking at what was happening behind. But somehow, in the last lap, Acosta, who was behind Bender and Nepa, rode back past the both of them to become third and be on the podium, which was fantastic for him because that gave that maintained his points lead and he you know it narrowed it some from where they had started but he at least was in the championship league and as we had said before acosta was in the park for may and his attitude he was a bit tense so something i think went on between nepa and acosta on track that we didn't see either it was a bit of elbows out kind of racing that either acosta didn't like or something to that effect or it was just you know they didn't have the setup or they didn't have something and he it, it messed with him they you know either it was a strategy call maybe it was because of the tire i don't know but there was something definitely not right with acosta as that thing wound down he was definitely not himself if you will yeah i, I mean i've got a theory oh, i'd which, love to hear it uh, I, this is backed up by nothing other than just you know my, my gray matter churning away in my in my head but i just wonder if the team made the call on the rear tire mm. as a kind of a safety thing or perhaps as a wild sort of card thing that might just do him a favor at the end but quite clearly he was just lacking pace uh as you say he just could not shake off nepa for you know a large chunk of that certainly that last third of the race and i just wonder if his whole demeanor i mean he, he was pretty much spitting his dummy out of the pram wasn't he mm, he's uh, close to it <laughs> betraying you know his age a little bit there um as we sometimes see from these young riders i mean he could not get off the podium fast enough i'm not even sure if he sprayed any any bubbly i can't remember but he certainly at the first opportunity he was gone from the podium celebration and looked really ticked off and i just wonder whether or not he was m- mad as hell with the team if they made the call on the tire which he probably felt had cost him perhaps cost him the race certainly cost him the chance to, to dice up the front and out, on top of that of course Foggia riding like a man possessed came from a costa style from not quite <laughs> not quite from the back but certainly buried in the mid pack uh, and just yeah rode like a man possessed and, and took the win which was the worst possible outcome for Acosta albeit as we've come to expect from Pedro Acosta you know last lap miracle kind of rescuing you know uh, a, a result yeah g- you know, gaining something from the jaws of defeat he could have easily been fifth. Yeah, well, he, I think we, we all thought he would be finishing fifth. As you say, we didn't really get to see particularly, because it was a good battle, Massia was doing everything he could up front to, to get by Foggia. Although I think Foggia really pulled the pin with one lap to go and, and kind of cleared off a little bit as, as it turned out. But yeah, I mean, he kind of, did, it was a bit of a rescue job by Acosta yet again as we've seen at two or three rounds in the second half of the season. But he's, he's certainly off the boil. And again, perhaps it's pressure, Perhaps the team over- overruled him, but for, for him to be the only person that took that tire option was a surprise. Yeah. Something Without something is in there. Something's in there, but yeah. not sure what it is. So that leaves the championship with Acosta leading with 234 points. Foggia has got 213. That's a 21-point gap with 50 points left to play. 
And the problem yeah. that Acosta has now is wins. If it's a tie, it's going to go to Foggia because Foggia has got wins and podiums, that combination. Because that was only Acosta's, that's the first time Acosta's ever been third on the podium. He's either been first or second on the podium. Uh, and it's the okay. last time he'd been on the po- it's the first time he'd been on the podium since the Red Bull ring. Which is a long span. Wow. Yeah. And so Foggia's client called back like almost sixty seven points on the kid. Huge. Which huge is number. huge. Yeah. I mean, just an incredible run of form for Foggia. A slump in form for Acosta. You get the fact that if it's a single cylinder bike, it's misfiring somewhere. And I just I don't know where where it's not hitting. He needs to, Acosta needs to get some IO in him and just kind of become that cool kid that we've seen and go do his business. He doesn't need to be in there. Now, what's fantastic about this is, as you said, the long-range forecast at Port Mayo is sunny. If it rains or if it rains at Valencia, which we've seen numerous wet races at Valencia. Of course, yeah. I've seen, we've seen bright sunshine there too. Yeah, but we're so, later in the year, I think. But we're year. late in the year, yeah. We're getting real late in the year to be at Valencia. So it's every possibility that Valencia can be wet. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this championship is, again, it's far from over, which is fine by me because it's been a great race, been a great series this year, great with Acosta as well. I mean, it has been, you know, anybody told me this rookie was going to come in and just do it because he would be the first rookie to be world champion since, as a rookie, since, uh, oh, they mentioned it and I didn't write it down. It was, um, somebody's yelling at their radio right now going, Jim, it's yeah, this guy. I got to look it up again. I can't think. Are we, what, are we talking Moto3 or 125? Yeah, well, it was back in 125s. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I somehow I had Caparossi in my head, but I know that's not right because I thought it was. Yeah, a, I think it might. I think it might be Caparossi actually. Caparossi. Yeah. his name did come up at some point, so it could have been a connection now. with that. But it's this yeah, long time. I should have wrote it down. I didn't. Oh well. Certainly, Please. certainly, you got to figure that um, Moto Two and Moto Three are likely to go down to Valencia. Oh, they will. Before, no before question. Is, no question. Decided. So, um, and and whether could could play a major sort of curveball in all of this, uh, as as we've said. One one person who will be breathing a huge sigh of relief, I suspect, is um, Fabio Quattararo, because if either of those last two races were damp, wet, he'd have been, he'd, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't I put like my that. money on Benyai at that point. But... Yeah, yeah. So, job done for for Quattararo. But the other two championships, yeah, very very much all to play for. Well, we have prattled on here for almost ninety minutes, Rich. So I think yep. we need to get out of this and get on there. So, again. We are done here for the show. We will be back in. We I think we got a BSB special next week, Rich. We're gonna yep. do. Yep. yep. So we'll have a BSB special for you guys next week as a fill-in because we don't go into the Algrave for two weeks. So we got a little time in there in between us. Remember feedback. Send it to Motopod at Motopodcast.com. We'd love to hear with you guys. We'd love to inter- interact with you. You. It's even on Twitter at Moto underscore Pod if you want to go there. You can reach me on Instagram and Twitter at Moto RGV. Rich, you are on Twitter as? Uh, just at Richard Jowett. Okay, that's J-O-W-I-T-T for you people if yes. you don't know. And my and, Instagram handle I'm now, I'm now I'm chucking stuff out on Instagram now ooh. so that is just, just Richard Jowett on that one so same just without the at so, at the beginning. Well, there you so go guys. Nice and easy. There you go. Perfect. And that's some, that. Uh, Put some BSB Brands pictures up uh, uh, last weekend. So, uh, yeah, take a look at that. I'll put a few more of them on, actually, a bit later on. That'll be cool. 
that'll be super cool so i think that's it for us rich yep I think we're done here we'll talk to you guys next week with a bsb special until then everyone ride safe Cheers.